For the Athletic Podcast Network, I'm Adam Copeland. Welcome to the update. On today's show, Grant Brisby joins me to talk about Tuesday night in Oakland, how many firsts we saw in a Major League Baseball game, and could the San Francisco Giants decide to make a trade even though it happens just a month after the season starts? It's Wednesday, July 22nd. Well, I figured since it was my first episode doing the update and it was the first week that baseball is back and we really are getting the first North American team sports back of the four major sports, I'd have one of my favorite baseball writers on and he happens to be part of this website. So Grant Brisby, our baseball writer. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing very, very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You're a good person to talk to about this because I feel like when I sat down to watch baseball on Tuesday night and we got the Giants and the A's in the Bay Area, I started reflecting kind of on the seal being broken of the pandemic and not that it's over, but that we're getting baseball back and started reflecting on the different things we were seeing within the game. The first female to coach a position in a major sporting event here, Alyssa Nacken coaching first base for the Giants. We get Gabe Kapler taking a knee, being the first head coach or manager in a, a major sport to do that during the national anthem so in reflecting on tuesday night though it was an exhibition i think it's one of the more memorable nights of baseball that i can think of i think you're right look it was always going to be a little bit memorable more so than your typical spring training game or the final exhibition games in those exhibition Bayridge series at the end of spring training but they really packed a lot in it was you know obviously good to see baseball it was platoon heavy lineup you had pitchers coming in coming out you had wacky shifts that that brought in four outfielders but then you had just just the, there was actual news, you know, news that people really cared about around the country. You had angry tweets from, say, the commander in chief and, and things like that. So lots of news packed into one spring slash summer training game. And I think my major takeaway is everything you just talked about. You had an article about that, and that's the Giants are going to be a little wacky this year, different than we've seen in the past, though you pointed out they have been platoon heavy, at least going back to the Bruce Bochy era. Can you elaborate on that a little bit or what you meant by wacky Giants for 2020? Yeah, you know, I actually hated the headline the second it published, and I couldn't change it because they're not going to be <laughs> so unpredictable. They're going to be a little bit predictable where you've got yeah. a lefty starter on the mound. You're going to just have that lineup filled with right-handed batters. You're going to have Wilmer Flores, whether it's at third, at second, maybe even short. I don't know. You're going to have uh, Mauricio Dubon, maybe in center, maybe second, maybe third, maybe short. You're going to have Donovan Solano at any infield position. You're going to have Pablo Sandoval. Who knows what happens when Evan Longoria comes back? I mean, they're going to have a lot of ways to counter left-handed pitching. And with right-handed pitching, they do too. You've got Dickerson and Yastrzemski and Crawford and Belt. And when everyone's healthy, they have options that they can go really deep with this platoon idea, especially with a 30-man roster, a 28-man roster. Everything kind of tied in with uh, Alyssa Nacken. You know, it's just the Giants are going to try things that they think are going to work, and they're not necessarily going to think, what are other people going to think? Or, boy, no one's ever tried this before. What if we mess it up? Like, no, I think they, they, they're they in a kind of a comfortable spot where they can, can look around and say, okay, what is best for this team now two weeks, two months, what is best? And I I think that's how they're going to approach the season, just trying to figure that out. I think it's kind of funny because we're sort of getting to know Farhan Zaidi, right? And you're sort of getting to know how he goes about putting a roster together. And while it's completely different than anything we've ever seen, it's not totally different than what they did with the Dodgers, right? And I was thinking about it yesterday and that if you look at what the Dodgers did against the Giants over the last, I don't know, 10 years or eight years or six years, they had a lot of left-handed pitching and they kind of hammered the Giants' left-handed hitters who were pure left-handed hitters. I'm thinking Brandon Belt and even Pablo Sandoval, who's a 
switch hitter, but more power probably from the left side is forced to go right-handed against guys like I wrote a few down here. Just listen to all these lefty starters the Dodgers have had over like the last five years. Kershaw, Wood, Rich Hill, Ryu, Brett Anderson, Urias, Kazmir. There's like a slew of guys who they've had. And now Farhan, who helped build that monster down in L.A., is over here having to put guys like Austin Slater in the lineup as a right-handed hitter to sort of counteract that. Are you sort of seeing that counteract within the division here where Farhan is having to sort of undo to the Dodgers what he set up a few years back? I think that's part of it. And I think that's just the direction that baseball's going right now. I think the Dodgers are doing what a super weapon team needs to do, which is have the ultimate flexibility, which is to have underpaid young players who are subsidizing whichever overpaid veterans or fairly paid veterans catch their fancy, whether it's someone like Kenley Jansen or Clayton Kershaw, whom they're retaining, or David Price is just sort of like the price of doing business in a trade for Mookie Betts. They want to have the ability to spend on those guys while underpaying these other guys. And in order to do that, you're going to have to have a guy like Chris Taylor, who is going to play shortstop, left field, second base. You're going to have to have lefties and righties. You're going to have to be able to to back up Rich Hill with a Dustin May and have a, a pipeline, a conveyor belt of Dustin Mays coming up through the system. So what they've done is really, it's one of the best baseball teams I've ever seen. And it's just top to bottom at every level going down to rookie ball. And that's what the Giants are trying to do when it starts with getting a guy like Chris Taylor or Will Smith who can float around from catcher to, to second base, a pipeline of righty starters, lefty starters. They were very early with just with saying, we don't necessarily have a five-man rotation. We're going to use Dustin May here. We're going to use Walker Bueller here until he establishes himself as an ace. So they've been really flexible and creative. And I think that's what the Giants are going for. Yeah, they did that a lot with Kenta Maeda, who they brought over and kind of signed him to a long-term deal, and he was sort of a super sub starter, and now kind of Ross Stripling is that guy for the Dodgers, where they'll put him in the rotation, they'll take him out, and we heard Gabe Kapler sort of talk about that with sort of, I don't know that we'd call it defining the pitching roles, but he said, we'll have bulk guys, we'll have up and down guys, we'll have sprint guys, and all of these guys are going to have different general roles. Who do you see fitting in best to that kind of bulk role? He mentioned Tyler Anderson. We've seen guys like like, uh, Logan Webb maybe kind of be a a good mold or fit for that. Who do you think is a good fit coming into the season? I think Tyler Anderson, you I mean he was he was one of the the pitchers who was named specifically just because he's he has a little bit of experience in both. He he's a left-hander so you can play the matchups early and then flip to a right-hander or vice versa where you've got a right-hander then you bring in Tyler Anderson in. I really think that a couple that who stand out are Sean Anderson just because he showed such improved stuff out of the bullpen when he could just put his foot down on the gas pedal and not worry about six innings. When you give him one inning, two innings, his, his fastball plays up, his slider's sharper, and so he, he's got a chance. Kevin Gaussman, I mean, I know that they signed him to be sort of a third or fourth starter, but he, he's got that same thing where his stuff played up in the bullpen last year. He was touching upper 90s out of the bullpen for the Reds. So he's a possibility. You might see it from Logan Webb. Everyone was raving about his stuff in the spring. They don't have a shortage of guys who, if you squint, you can say, yeah, I could see that being a weapon for one, two, three innings if you need them. And if you find three or four of those guys, well, maybe you're onto something. You mentioned uh, Kevin Gossman, who they brought in in the offseason uh, to sort of be a middle of the rotation guy. We got to look at him for an inning on Tuesday night. But you had a great article uh, titled The Five Most Watchable Giants for this season, the 2020 season from last weekend. And number one was Joey Bart, but two was Gossman. And you did something that's one of my favorite Grant Brisby things. I think it's like a classic <laughs> Grant thing. You called it, what'd you do? The un, what'd you call it? The unfair comparison table or something like that? Unfair comparison theater. Let's oh, go. fantastic. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things, dude. So you take Kevin Gossman, 
Hammond's numbers. And I think since you label it Gossman, we all kind of know one of the players is him. But we didn't know who the other numbers were for. And you basically ran through the first few years of Gossman's career to give us a breakdown of what he had done. And the B player that you gave us was one of my all-time favorite Giants, Jason Schmidt. So can you run through sort of what the breakdown was for that and why it was you used Jason Schmidt as the baseline for the comparison, even though it may be an unfair comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not right to say, you know, uh, past is, is, is prolonged. Like it's not, it's not that simple, but uh, Gossman has thrown 949 innings his career. Jason Schmidt, before he joined the Giants, threw 925, basically the same amount of innings. Uh, Jason Schmidt was 28, Gossman was 29. They both pitched at roughly a league average rate. They had about a league average ERA. They had roughly a league average strikeout rate. I mean, you go down, they were both once heralded prospects who just sort of developed into this average pitcher but they never lost their stuff. When Jason Schmidt came to the Giants, it's not like, well, he's throwing 88, we're going to work and build him up. But no, he kind of arrived throwing as hard as the Jason Schmidt who made all-star teams. And that's the same with Gaussman. And the one common thread between them, the one thing that makes me go, hmm, is that they were both drafted and developed and they were huge prospects for just miserable teams, miserable organizations. Kevin Gaussman with the, the modern day Orioles, they've had a rough time developing any pitching at all, no, regardless of talent. And Jason Schmidt, that was kind of the story with the Pirates. He was just, a, you know, with a really rough organization with a bad track record of developing pitchers and turning pitcher clay into a pitcher sculpture. And that doesn't mean that Kevin Gaussman's going to contend for a Cy Young and, and lead the Giants to a pennant. It's just sort of one of those things where you forget how unpolished Jason Schmidt was when he came over and what the Giants were able to do for him. And People have been waiting for this for Kevin Gossman for a while, and he just he has that kind of raw stuff, so he's he's very intriguing. Now it acquired in two different ways because Gossman is brought in on a on a one year deal, right? And Jason Schmidt was acquired in a mid season trade, and I want to say that trade is a, is like a really good one in history. I think it was was it Vanderwall that came over with Jason Schmidt. I think they gave up Armando Rios, and it was Vogie, right? Isn't that the it other? Was. Isn't that the other deal? That's a hell of a trade for Brian Sabian, man. It was, especially when you figure you know that you're going to send Vogelsong away to get all this experience. Experience and then come back and win a World Series with you. <laughs> like a decade later, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the best rope dopes I've ever seen. <laughs> playing the long, playing the long game, Brian Savian, yeah. Yeah, but you know what that trade was? That that was a trade of vision. That was a trade of, I think we can fix this guy. I think, you know, a tweak here, a tweak there. There was a ceiling that he has not tapped into. That was one of Savian's better trades because it, it required something more than, well, if you take these stats and look at that, you see that he's an uh, unlucky pitcher or something like that. It wasn't stats. It was just looking at this guy and going, nah, he should be better. He should be much better. Let's go get him. And man, they were right. Yeah, give a little credit to Rags when he came over, too. Probably a huge part of that transformation for Jason Schmidt. No, absolutely. Splitter slash changeup. He kind of had that Timmy thing where you couldn't quite tell if it was a a forkball splitter or Vulcan, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It was nasty. And that's what really Rags kind of polished up with him. And you got to love a guy who takes like 50 million from the Dodgers and then like never pitches, right? He missed like the <laughs> all-time great you, giant, all-time yeah. great giant in every respect. <laughs> all-time great giant. I want to wrap up with one more question about Kevin Gossman, because when I say he was brought in on that short deal, I think a lot of people kind of looked at that as this is a veteran guy. Maybe the Giants get some juice out of him, kind of like they did with Drew Pomeranz. And maybe you look to move him and get something out of him. And the trade deadline is still going to be here. It's like a month away. It's the end of August. We're still going to have that deadline. What are the odds that, and not necessarily just Gossman, but what 
are the odds the Giants try to do something like they did last year with these short-term veterans? It's going to be trickier. It's going to be a trickier for a lot of reasons. You're only going to have a month's worth of evidence to really decide whether this pitcher is going to be the exact square peg for for your square hole. Uh, You're going to need to trade players who are already on that 60-man player pool, so it's going to limit those sorts of, like the Sam Dyson trade. The, The Twins gave the Giants three of their prospects, but they were sort of under the radar. They weren't like their top, top prospects. And you're not going to have those kinds of deals because those players, most likely Jalen Davis, uh, Prelander Baroa, they wouldn't have been on that 60-man player pool if this were the situation last year. So it's going to be a little trickier to match up. And there are all sorts of ethical concerns about, you know, trading a player and saying, thanks for the thanks for the month. You get on a plane with your family and go to a new area. Hope it's not, you know, Florida or Arizona. So there's a lot going on. It's going to be trickier, but you never know. And if, if Gossman or Drew Smiley, they, they show up and they're just throwing dimes right out of the gate. I don't know. You, you have to at least consider it. Yeah, you got to think about it. And, uh, and Farhan's been wheeling and dealing since he got here. So who knows? Uh, we really appreciate the time, man. Thanks again for, uh, for coming by and hanging out. And uh, I- I'm really looking forward to another unfair comparison theater. Like, I had no idea we were going Jason Schmidt with, with Kevin Gossman. I was like, no way! Those numbers are crazy! <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate it. If, if I've got one one attendee in unfair comparison theater, I'm glad it's you. I'll see the matinee. I'll get the discount price, too. Thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot, Grant. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Adam. A lot of fun talking Jason Schmidt, one of my all-time favorite San Francisco Giants. I always remember the night Randy Johnson threw a perfect game. Jason Schmidt got no love from the national media despite throwing a one-hitter in Chicago. Back in those days, you had to be on, uh, on national TV to get the attention, but Randy Johnson won up to my guy Jason Schmidt. A lot of good Giants talk today, and on Friday, for you East Bay fans, we'll be talking A's baseball. We'll be able to get a little preview on what this season could mean for the Green and Gold and whether or not they are legitimate World Series contenders. Thanks for listening. For full coverage of sports in the Bay Area, subscribe to The Update on Google Podcasts. The Athletic is the world's fastest-growing sports media publication. Get in-depth sports stories you won't find anywhere else. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting theathletic.com slash Google. That's going to do it for us on today's episode of The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys on Friday.